0: (laughs) so By our host, Lewis Outland with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, free tools we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's
1: 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning.
0: There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing folks all around the country and all around town.
1: And even all around the world, if you there. feel like getting up at that time of night. hey, you go. In the middle <laughs> of
0: the night, to give us a call. <laughs> this show is primarily about dispensing unbiased information, but right? I think the calls sort of add a new dimension to it. A lot of times we will get a call that makes a really good point that sure. maybe you and I hadn't thought of, and then we can expound on that. So that's why we like getting the calls. I mean, we can sit here and you yak back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as interesting in my opinion, but hey, we can do it if we got to. That's it. But I appreciate you giving us a call and always appreciate you just listening and spending your Saturday morning with us. That's
1: it. And should you happen to think of something after we go off the air or just Anytime during the next week or so, you can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in.
0: There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. and That'll get you an answer, and you can help you out. A lot of times, I get emails from folks who have already spent an inordinate amount of money on something, and, mm-hmm. and then they're contacting me, which right. is fine. It, it saves them from going maybe Any a, further? A further wrong. But the ones that I really like the most are the ones that says, I have this problem, and I'm thinking of this. What do you think? Because Correct. they're getting opinions before they go start spending money. And there's nothing noble about throwing a whole bunch of money at a problem.
1: Right. I mean, we see it all the well, time. Well, the federal government. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Pretty, pretty good
0: example <laughs> of that. But what we want to do is we want to make effective decisions. We want to spend money where it needs to be spent in preventing problems, but we just wasting money, changing parts that don't need to be changed or buying services that don't need to be purchased. Correct. is not going to benefit anyone in any way. Well, benefit, well benefits the guy I sold to you. Exactly. I but I had a car come in earlier this week, and I told the gentleman – I said, well, the car seems to be poorly maintained. Mm-hmm. And he sort of got offended by that. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you, but there are these, this, 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 this that has not been done on the car. Right. He says, well, I take that car in for every single service. I said, well, then you probably need to review whoever it is that's servicing the car. And he says, well, I got receipts in some glove box. I said, okay. great. Why don't you go grab them and let's look at them. Right. And sure enough, about every... 15,000 miles, he was going in for service. And what they were selling him were things like an injection flush, upper intake cleaning, Okay, basically wallet flushes. Right, These are things that are not on anybody's maintenance schedule. They're really not even part of maintenance because fuel injectors, number one, are self-cleaning. If you're using a, a decent grade of fuel, you probably will never have to clean your injectors. At best injection cleaning is a repair, repair correct if a problem has occurred for instance if something's gotten in and clogged them up okay well then maybe you would clean them but that's probably a once-in-a-lifetime type experience it's not and, something you do every 15,000 miles
1: well and it's not going to be a flush either you're going to have to take the parts out physically clean them right. and put them back in it's not something you're just going to pour in the gas tank or, right, or run through the injector assembly when you're trying to get something done.
0: Exactly right. And he thought he was doing good maintenance on the car by following these recommendations. However, what he was doing is just wasting his money. Sure. Because the things they were doing were not things that are really necessary or things that are helpful, but worse and more to the point, they were neglecting the things that needed, needed to be, to
1: be done. done. Right.
0: The car was seven years old, and the coolant had never been changed. Wow. And the absolute blue sky... Best-case scenario is five, five years, years, even from the manufacturer, on the original fill, and three years thereafter. Mm-hmm. So he was way past due on that. Uh, the all in the rear differential had not been changed. Right. This particular car called for it at 50,000 miles. And so there were lots and lots of things that had not been done. In fact, the spark plugs had not been changed. And this particular car called for plugs every 30,000 miles. Right? He said, well, I thought it was 100. I said, well, on some cars it is. But on this particular car, it's 30. So the long story. Story short, when he finally sat down and looked at what he was doing, he realized that the car was being neglected. Sure. And it wasn't for want of spending money, and it wasn't for want of trying to do the right thing, but the person that he had been bringing the car to was more interested in selling stuff. It's like we used to say, there are roughly two different kinds of people offering automotive service. You have, and for lack of a better term, I'm going to call them a craftsman and a merchant. Okay and that may not apply in every case, but a craftsman is a guy or person who is there to fix the car. He's there to save you money. He is there to repair your problems. He is there to do the best job he possibly can, and in so doing, he's going to earn a living. Mm -hmm. Then you have what I call a merchant, which is a guy who's just there to sell you something. And it doesn't matter if he's selling lawnmowers or balloons filled with helium or cotton candy at the fair. He's going to sell you something. Correct. And if he is not equipped, to do the diagnostic service now, he's going to tell you what he is that he can do whether you need it or not. <laughs> and so just because a person has a shingle out front saying auto repair doesn't does necessarily make them mean that they're qualified or that their mind is in the right place. I remember I took a Dale Carnegie course years ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they told me and I'll never forget this, they were talking about an effective salesman and okay. how an effective salesman goes in and he overcomes objections and so on and so forth. And I said, well, that sounds an awful lot like what a con man does. And he says, absolutely right. The only difference in a salesman and a con man is an intent. Mm-hmm. The salesman's trying to help you. The con man's trying to con you. Right. But the methods and are stuff the same. are more or less the same. He's trying to convince you to do something. and. A salesman is someone who tries to convince you to do things he knows is in your best interest. For instance, you may go to a physician who is also a salesman, whether they like to think of it that way or not, and he's telling you, Brian, you need to quit smoking, you need to lose 20 pounds, you need to watch your diet, you need to cut this out, eat more of this. He's trying to sell you on a program of better health, but he's doing it for your best interest. He's not doing it because he's going to make money on it. You can go to a con man who says, well, you need this flush and this flush and this flush and that one on your car. He's trying to say what he's got to say. Sure. <laughs> so his intent has nothing to do with you. His right. intent is. Make money. Lying his pockets or filling his coffers or keeping all his guys working or whatever the case may be. So what you got to do is you have to be able to kind of recognize the difference between the two. And that's not always easy. No, it's not. And what makes that, I feel, infinitely more difficult is the way that a lot of folks shop for auto repair or go about getting their car fixed. And what it is, they encounter a problem, which has possibly been going on for months, but when they see a symptom, that's when they realize it's a problem. Correct. They've ignored the fact that maybe the check engine light was on or whatever because it wasn't doing anything. Well finally course, ran the five. car dies won't run anymore okay well now they know they've got a problem so the first thing they may do is go on the internet and they say okay this guy's car died and it was a fuel pump well yeah maybe this is a fuel pump so
1: they get on the phone so and they start calling the phone, around how much
0: is it for fuel pump right how much is it for a fuel pump well wait a minute no one's ever determined if that's even the problem exactly and what they determine with this method is the guy who is willing to quote them the lowest price sure. on a repair they may or may not even need. And ironically, when you call the right place, the guy who could help you, he's not going to give you a price on the phone. He's not going to give you a price. He's going to say, What kind of problem do you have? Right. Well, I want a price on fuel. No, no, no. What kind of problem are you trying what's, to solve? What's going on? Right. Well, my car won't start. Okay. When did this begin? Well, was anything done to the car prior? No, it just, I was driving along, and it died, and now it won't. So it was a check engine lot. Yeah, well, it's been on for about three months. This is the kind of questions he's going to ask.
1: That's the kind of place you want to go.
0: And then he's going to say, okay, b- tow the car in, we're going to check it, we're going to test it, and we're going to tell you exactly what it is. Now, I'm going to give you, once I've checked it, a guaranteed price. I'm going to guarantee you that's going to fix the problem, and I'm going to guarantee you when it's going to be ready. hmm that's the kind of guy who can help you. Sure. Now, the guy who just spouts off a number.
1: He already knows what it's
0: going to take to put a well, fuel pump in that vehicle. Oh well, yeah, yeah. He's, and once he puts fuel pump in and it still won't start, then he's going to call you back and say, okay, you told me to put a fuel pump. I did that. still won't run. What do you want to do now? Right. And another thing that will you can always a uh, tip off, I think most people, particularly people who listen to this show, because it's probably a, a little more experienced audience, uh-huh, they realize that nothing is free. Nothing is ever free. Somebody pays for everything in the world. So you call this guy and you say, okay, how do I get the car to you? Oh, we got free towing. That is a major, major (laughs) red flag right there because he's going to add that back in somewhere. And if he's willing to lie to you about that, what else is he going to lie to you about? Exactly. So the point is the way that you go about shopping can predetermine the outcome that you get. And we're going to talk some more about that and a whole lot more. We're going to take a little quick break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
2: If you ever plan to motor west. I'm here with John, an actual Agco Automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at AGCO are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. AGCO suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with AGCO keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Halzan with Mr. Brian Terry. And today we're talking about check engine lights and just different things such as that. But we'll take a call. Any question you might have, go and give us a call. 291 6901. That'll get you right straight to us, put you at the top of the line, and get your questions answered.
1: That's it. We still got plenty of time to get that done I for am. you this morning. Now's
0: the perfect time to call in. If you wait to the end of the show, a lot of times we go out and we show people on hold and just can't get to them because they boot us right on out of here when the clock hits the number. That, <laughs> that they do. When the clock hits tomorrow, that's it. You're gone. <laughs> so now's the time to call in. We got all our lines available. And we were talking about just problems and, and how people go about getting things fixed. One big issue also that I see a lot, and this is something that you never, ever want to do, and that is the check engine light will come on, and they will go in. Somebody tells them, well, disconnect the battery. Right. Well, number one, that is not ever going to fix any problem. There's no problem on a modern car that disconnect the battery will fix. It can create several problems. I was going that it will. But more to the point, it's going to wipe out all the diagnostic information that the technician needs to fix the car.
1: Right, because when the check engine light comes on, it stores data from that point back right. a little bit. It
0: stores some failure records.
1: And what that gives the technician is an eye into what was happening at the time the light came That's on. That's right. There is a lot of great information there that the technician needs. And it's not just as simple as go pull a code and change a part. Right. You, you have to look through the data to see what was going on to go the certain place you need to go to get this vehicle fixed.
0: Well, and for instance, if we get a code for a speed sensor output code, say a speed sensor circuit code, and we look at the failure record and the car was going zero when the code occurred and the throttle position was at idle, okay, we know this is probably some kind of a, a bigger problem than a speed sensor. Sure. Because the car wasn't moving. moving. You know, if the car was in park when it occurred, then obviously the car was not moving. These right. are the kind of things failure records can do for you. So rather than spend 15, 20, 30 minutes testing speed sensors and all that, we know this is probably something in either the computer network where it's communicating, possibly a wire that's, that's got bad. Damaged. It could be something in the PCM, sure. a failure on the driver. It's but not going to be
1: as simple as changing a park.
0: It's not going to be a logical speed sensor thing even though that is the code that was indicated correct that's what failure records and that's just one of the things there are many 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 more but when you disconnect the battery you destroy all that information right
1: all that is gone it's not retrievable after the battery is disconnected
0: that's right and it's not ever going to fix anything not only that, but there are several circuits on a car nowadays that have to be reset once the battery is disconnected. Right. Lexus, Toyota, for example. Yeah, Toyota Lexus. power windows may not go up anymore.
1: Right, or the sunroof won't open and close anymore. That's all that right. has to be reinitialized after battery disconnect.
0: Right. I know on some of, We don't work on European cars, but somebody was telling me on some of the BMWs, it may cost you $300 to reset all the sensors right. when the battery is disconnected because it loses the position sensor for the suspension and all that. Mm-hmm. And all that has to be go... Back and reprogram in, and it will not learn on its own. So, I've been told. So, that is one thing you never, ever, ever want to do. I don't care who tells you that. Do not disconnect the battery. It is not going to fix the problem. And really, a check engine light is not a problem at all. It's telling you there is a problem. Correct. It's your friend. It's trying to say, hey, something's going wrong here. Let's take care of it now. It's an early warning system, is what it is.
1: And most people look at that light as a check money light. You know, yeah. when the light comes on, and we got to spend more money, and we can't get a state inspection now because the light's on. And
0: and that is true. It's going to cost something to, to diagnose it. it and fix yeah. it. However, it's probably going to cost a whole lot less than ignoring it. Exactly. It's like if your fire alarm keeps going off at the house, and you goes, just ignore just, it, that's just getting the battery. Right. Okay. Well, that fixed it. Now the fire alarm doesn't go off anymore, and then you burn to death because right. there was some yeah, wires in the wall had been burning, smoldering for a while. You're right. not doing yourself any favor there at all. Let's go to our phone house. John, good morning, John.
3: Good morning, guys. Hey, got I've got an electrical paint right now. Okay. It's an 07 GMC Acadia. and It's mm-hmm. actually not the Stabilitrack. What I've got is I've got the sound, and it's not just the radio, but it's the radio, the blinkers, the backup alarm, any of that. It's coming and going in intermittently, okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and where it kind of – you know, it goes out, and then it comes back, and then right. it goes out, and then it comes back. So I did some investigation, and I do not have a Bose sound system, right. and that seems to be an issue. So I look, I don't even have a Bose amplifier right. that could be causing the issue, and I am at a complete loss.
0: Yeah, John, that's not anything you're going to be able to determine by yourself. That's going to be some interference on the Class 2 serial network. And see, like you said the stability Track light is coming on? No, 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 nothing to do with Stabilitrack. track. Yeah, you know, no. Did you say the Stabilitrack track gone. light was coming on? No, it it
3: did not come on. Okay,
0: no. did not come on. And check engine light did not come on.
3: Right, right. Okay. It did not come on. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you're just gonna have to go in and see what it is. The last one I had, in fact, it was the same vehicle, and it was something on the rear. I'm trying to remember, there was a switch in the back that you would turn off, and that was the problem. Was in that system there but it was backing up through the network. you know. It's got a computer network on it, and it was causing this interference, and it was intermittent. Every once in a while, all, all the alarms would yeah. start going off and all that kind of stuff, and I don't remember exactly what it was on that one, but what you're going to have to do is go in with some type of a General Motors-enabled scan tool where you can see the network and see what is causing this interference. How often does it occur, John? See, that's the
3: thing. There is, there is no frequency or,
0: or normal time. Yeah, once just... a week, once a month, once a year. Oh no, no more. You know, a couple times a week. Yeah, you know, and it's, if it happens a couple it. times a week, then it's probably something that could be found. What you need to do is get it into a shop and leave it with them until it occurs. That's
3: the thing. Yeah, because if it's working, if mm-hmm. it's working, the part, you're probably you're not going to see the problem. Is that well, correct?
0: probably what you're going to get is a bunch of U codes. What a U code is is an unidentified code. In other words, when anything happens on the network, it's going to set a code of some sort. But a U-code is unidentified, in other words, the computer doesn't know what it is. So okay. if, if, if probably if we scanned it right now, you're going to have a dozen U-codes in there, which are all unidentified codes, which are not going to help okay. you at all. So what you're going to have to do, like you said, it's going to have to occur while you've got test equipment on it so you can see which module or which sensor. And, you know, this doesn't need to be a real big problem. This could be real minor. It just, you're just going to be one of those things you're going to have to catch it doing it, see what right. it is. And, you know, it's probably one of the sensors or one of the modules that's affecting Class 2 serial data. But, again, virtually everything on that car is tied into the Class 2 data network. So, any okay. corruption whatsoever is going to cause that. Now, let me just ask you an off-the-wall question. Is anything not original to the car? Is there any aftermarket accessory in there? Hey, you still there? I'm sorry. Let's see. we got our lines a little scrambled up there. But what I want to tell John that if there's any type of an aftermarket accessory on the car, you need to probably go and disconnect that first, even if you think there's no possible way it could be related, just because that's the nature of it. Something like a trailer hitch, an aftermarket trailer hitch. Another thing that I've seen cost weird stuff like that, these little devices that, people will say that plug into the OBD2 connector.
1: Most of those are insurance-related type things. They take a recording, and right. they send. you can get a discount if you drive a certain
0: way or something. Right. We've seen a lot of trouble with those. Those are really bad news, and there's some out right now that they're selling that it's some kind of little service where they tell you, we're going to diagnose your car, for Right. and da We had two of them come in Monday, had to end up disconnecting both of them to get the car to run right because it was scrambling the network. The point is that OBD2 connector is not designed to constantly feed information back to somebody else. It would kind of be like if you took your PC at home, hooked a device to it, unprotected, and left it out there on the internet and just left it running all the time where people could get in, access it, and all that. You know, it can cause all kinds of different maladies for you. So, not something that you want to do. And the same thing with those. You do not want to have anything on there that doesn't go it's not designed to do that best case scenario it generally ends up running your battery dead real fast this one lady that was in she's putting batteries in her car by every six months
1: right and she had a device that.
0: there that would report back to something something something
1: i saw one the other day on tv is have a you can control the car now with them well yeah you, you can set perimeters on how fast the car will go if it goes out of a certain de- uh, range or something yeah it's they've, they've come up with all kind of stuff to yeah, manipulate them. the
0: thing is all that is not something you want to do because what you're doing you're exposing your computer set network to basically to the internet sure and just like your home unit exactly you just tied it in and let People have uh, access unbridled to access to it. You know, It's sort of like if you have two people and they live together and they're true to each other, there are a lot of problems that they're not going to have. Sure. Call it diseases or whatever you want to do. If these two people are true one to another, they have a closed system right there. Right. And there are certain diseases that just aren't going to get into that system. However, if they go out and start having a different lifestyle, they're opening themselves up to a whole lot more vulnerabilities. The same exact thing with your car, your computer network. When you open it up to who knows what – not only that, but those connectors are designed for intermittent use to diagnose a problem, right? Not, they're not to constantly da- download data to someone else, a third party who correct. is not really necessarily engineered to work with that system at, in the first place. We're going back to the phone lines with David. Good morning, David.
4: Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to. Since you didn't call Roll, let you know I'm in class this morning. (laughs) Good deal. (laughs) I was off from work one day the week before last, Mm -hmm. and I was watching Fox News in the morning, and I believe it was something called the New York Auto Show. Okay. And they had a professional promoting all these features on these new cars and how terrific they were. Mm -hmm. One of them was this. This car has nine USB ports. Mm
5: -hmm. And then
4: another car, the feature was this car has seven USB ports and an A.C. outlet. Wow. And I was just thinking, if this is the way they're selling cars now, yeah. you're going to become highly wealthy and the country's going to pot.
0: Yeah, well, you know, when the president of Ford Motor Company stands up before the press and says, people are not interested in economy, they're not interested in reliability, people are interested in technology, and that's what we're going to give them. I mean, I don't know how much longer <laughs> we're going to have an auto industry with people thinking that way. And certainly, I'm not totally against all technology. If people like it, if you want it, if you realize there's a cost involved and you're well, willing to pay it. And there's a benefit to you. And it's a benefit to you. Let's just go with disc brakes, right?
1: Or fuel injection. Right. Those were technologies that came along and they were beneficial to the American public. That's right.
0: They made cars run better, they had benefits to the economy. Right. Made the car stop better. But you know, I've been driving, I guess, for fifty years now and I've never needed a USB port in my car. I know. Not ever. (laughs) (laughs) So what you gonna do, man? (laughs) Nothing to it. Great show. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right, we gotta take a quick little break. Percy, Rick, hold on. You guys will be straight up after this
2: break. I'm here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Agco automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I
4: sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits... And he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary.
2: Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Hmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco—it's the place to go. Welcome back. Please join us, the
0: Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzam, with Mr. Debrine Terry. Hey, between tools, will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we've got Rick's been patiently holding. Good morning, Rick.
4: Hey, good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good. I've got a 2003 Jeep Wrangler, and the, I seldom drive it, and the low gas light came on, mm-hmm. and at the same time, the check engine light came on. Okay. And so I thought I'd read, look up in the book, and.
0: Yeah, was it, it said, low on gas,
4: Rick? Yeah, it was low on gas. Okay. So I filled it up, and I hardly use it, so I decided, well, this time I'll only put about a half a tank in mm-hmm, there.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, and I did that, and the light didn't go off. And I've been driving a little bit, and the light's still on.
1: The check engine light's still on or the low-fuel light?
4: The, the check engine light. Okay. The low-fuel okay. light went off. Okay. Okay. Right, no. I've got a code reader, and mm-hmm. you just took some of the wind out of my sails, <laughs> saying they're no good. It, it gave me a code of uh, low of uh, admission control system, leak, small, and then a second code was large.
0: Okay. okay. Those okay. are evaporative emissions, leaks. I don't Did see the, how yeah. that would be related necessarily to being low on fuel, however it could. Did the gas Did, cap get put back on all the no, way? He said the light came on before. He I think the gas, gas
4: cap is on all the way, but I, everything I read said maybe the gas bad gas cap.
0: It's possible they They, they do go bad but it's an old car let me me back up though the the light came on the checking light came on before you stopped to get gas right
4: uh yeah yeah Okay.
0: okay so it wouldn't probably be the gas cap that particular vehicle uses a part called a leak detection pump which gives a lot a lot a lot of trouble and what is a little pump that pressurizes the gas tank and that's how it tests for these different things and running low on fuel could possibly have cause it to, to fail it probably would have failed anyway i think it's more or less coincidental although one may have contributed to the other but that's the most common repair we make on that particular thing now there's also some vacuum lines and such as that that can dry rot like i said the car is old some little d- vacuum uh, lines and stuff one of those dry rots and cracks and that'll cause it certainly the gas cap mm-hmm. but again if the gas cap wasn't tampered with when the light came on i don't think that would have been the problem because it would have came on prior to that i think
4: Mm-hmm. Well, so, if it was bad, well. Like I said, there was two codes. One was a right. small leak, right, and then a large leak. Right, is it's going to set. Both,
0: well, yes yeah, set both codes because it's going to encounter a small leak first, and as it continues to test, it's going to encounter a big leak.
4: Right. I was thinking maybe the small leak was in the uh, gas cap, and then no, when I, no I replaced it doesn't work Replace the gas cap. It then uh, it it uh, no, sir, it, it doesn't work large. that way.
0: What it would do is that. It sees a small leak. It's going to try to first. pressurize the system, and when it puts a certain amount of pressure, it can't hold it for a certain amount of time. It's actually going to flag the large leak first. Then, if it continues to degrade over time, it's going to set the small leak. So, it's, okay. it's all part of the same thing. The way we would go about fixing that, Rick, is we would go in with a machine we call a smoke detector, and we go into your system, mm-hmm. connect this machine it pumps nitrogen and smoke into the system then you can see with your eye where it's coming out because there's probably a quarter mile that's a slight exaggeration but not too much of, of <laughs> vacuum hoses and lines and stuff under there. Oh, any I know. one of which could be leaking there's also a couple of solenoids of course on that particular system most of the solenoids are common to the leak detection pump they're, they're all enclosed in that one little unit and that unit does fail quite a bit particularly on older vehicles so if i just <laughs> wanted to guess i'd probably guess that but Again, you know, what you might do if you got a code reader is write down the two codes you've got and then yeah. clear them out, make sure the cap's on tight, and see if they come back on chances are it's going to pop right back on and you don't want to clear it again because you're going to need that data stored for your know, tech to find the problem. But
4: Yeah, well, I'm scared. The thing says it's going to, it's going to wipe out everything on that computer.
0: It will. It will. It'll erase all the diagnostic data and yeah. all the, all but the test
1: completion. You said also. yours
0: are a 93 model. It doesn't really mm-hmm. store a whole lot of data anyway. So it'll regenerate. If the problem occurs, it'll just take you a little longer to get it fixed. because okay. There is a possibility that maybe the cap, caused it but i don't think so i I think that's pretty doubtful but what you could do like i said is is go Mm -hmm. ahead clear it out and then drive it And when the light comes back on go ahead and bring it in somebody reliable let them test it for you it would cost a lot less to run that test and find the problem than it would to guess at even one or two things
4: oh yeah i I wouldn't i wouldn't try to guess at it (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: i mean you guess leak detection pump well that's Mm a hundred bucks i mean it's cost less than that test if that doesn't Mm -hmm. fix it you just threw away a hundred bucks
4: right Okay, well, I, that, uh, that gives me a lot of answers. and okay, I'll uh... and
0: I, I tell you what you could do, too, Rick, if you want to understand that system a little bit better. Go on my website and type in the search bar the word EVAP, E-V-A-P, and it's going to bring up two articles, one on the vacuum system, which most cars use, and one on the pressure system, which is Chrysler. And that'll tell you how it works and when, when those codes set and why it sets and all that, so you'll understand a lot more about it. Mm, okay. All righty? All right, well, thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye. I-291-6901 right, is the number. If you're a part the Automotive, fire, we'd love to have you. And we've got Percy who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Percy.
6: Hey, good morning, guys. Yes, I'm sir. from Fresno, California. Well, oh, great. Great. And it's uh, 8:38 a.m. <laughs> 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 Early. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a question. I have an 07 Saturn Aura. Uh-huh. And when I purchased the car uh, last May, they said on the sticker that it had a torn control arm uh, bushing. Uh-huh. Okay. Rotor. And uh, I need to get new tires put on it. I'm going to put Michelin Defenders on it because you guys say they're the best. They are. And I need to know,
0: does that need to get fixed before I do it? Yeah, it would depend, Percy, on the extent of the tear. You know, the word tear or torn is sort of a Uh relative term. What one guy who is trying to say you something may call a tear is a little crack that you can barely see, dry rock crack that's really not hurting anything. What another guy may call a tear is the bush is ripped in half. So just by not knowing who wrote it or what their intent was, I would certainly have the man who's going to say the tires look at it, say, look, I want you to look at my suspension. I've been told there's a bushing on a control arm that's bad. Check it and see if this is going to affect the alignment. And tell them, I don't want to throw money at it for no reason. But, yeah, to answer your question, if the bushing is truly bad, yes, it will definitely affect alignment because the control arm moves the alignment's going to change, and that's going to affect tire life. So you want to fix all that before you put your new tires on.
6: Okay, cool. All righty. All right, well, thank you guys. And um, I want to thank you guys for teaching me the proper and right, right way to change oil because why well, do you do it bad. <laughs> <laughs> and my uh, sister-in-law actually bought me a torque wrench Oh wow! because great. I listen to you guys. Well, good so
0: I have to it down. Yeah. You, you'd be surprised at something as simple as just changing oil, how many ways you ought to do it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and how many things you can damage? Yeah, not doing it wrong. Right, so. All right.
6: Well, thank you guys, right, and um, you guys keep telling
0: the truth. Well, thank you, man. thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one. If first can call away from California, California. there you, you go. You can call him Baton Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> we got Eric online. Good morning, Eric.
5: Hi guys. I think I can beat him. I'm okay. from Vancouver Island. There you go. You can All beat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. Okay. Honda Fit. Oh seven, mm-hmm. and i'm looking at the changing the manual transmission fluid okay and it does not say anything about a filter and i'm wondering do i have to take the transmission apart or whatever you need? Know, so there's no. no
0: filter on it the way that one works is there's going to be a magnet on the drain plug which kind of see okay. ma- manual transmission just don't generate the same amount of debris as automatic transmission were so would not be a bad idea to have a filter but there's just really no way because the splash type lubrication. it's not a pressurized lubrication system so it'd be difficult to put a filter what they do instead is that the way it's designed the oil is thrown around by the gears but the heavier metallic materials which is the debris that's going to be in there tend to settle towards the bottom of the case because they're heavier than the okay. oil the magnet sticks them and you have to do a drain and fill that's why it's so important to do a drain and fill on that because there is no filter that can be replaced
5: okay so, what's the uh, interval
0: well, mm. I think Honda probably recommends around 100,000 miles. I think that's a bit optimistic. If it were my car, I'd probably do it every 50,000 miles. Just because right. oil is cheap, and if you can do it yourself, it doesn't cost you much of anything. And the price <laughs> of the transmission is probably 2500 bucks. So, I mean, right. you can change an awful lot of oil, and the only thing you can do to get the debris out and, and replace it. the additives and stuff in your oil is to change it. See, there's also additives in that oil that prevent foaming. There are additives that help to— uh, disperse the moisture and stuff that gets in the system they're added as they keep seals and all pliable so folks who don't change all may not see it as an oil problem they see it as a leak and there's a seal starts leaking but the seal start leaking right. because the seal got hard i'm real big on changing that about every 50,000 or so i mean really if it were my car personally i'd probably even do it every 30,000 just because i could do it myself and all i got to do is buy the all and you, you just you know, I mean, worst case scenario, you do it a little early, you just waste a little bit of money, but just a little bit and the odds of problems that can go wrong are just so great. You know, I certainly wouldn't go more than 50,000 on my car.
1: Now, that unit does not have a dipstick on it either. Yeah. It's so have a plug it's got a fill plug on the side which you may have to have some kind of special pump to pump the fluid out of the container back into the transmission because you won't have room to pour it back in.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, saw that that I don't remember on that one, but I I'm sure some of funnel in a
5: hose, I think. Okay, yeah, you, you might be able to do if it that way. You can get
0: to the fill <clears> plug. That's fine. If not, one thing that kind of works pretty well, Eric, is if you get a little rubber hose, put it on the end of your squeeze bottle, and put it in there, and then tilt the bottle upright. When you squeeze it, it'll push it all uphill. So yeah, that's just another way that you can do it. We've got a little pump that we use that hangs the hand there. Pump, and yeah. hand pump it in. makes it a little bit easier.
5: Okay, sounds good. All right. Do you have time for another question? You bet. Go ahead. Uh, 96 Saturn. Mm-hmm vibrates like crazy would it be the motor mounts when does it vibrate eric it does it a lot it does it at idle Mm -hmm. and it's really noisy driving and i think also maybe the wheel bearings i don't know
1: they have a bad problem with that upper motor mount going bad and when it does it collapses onto the frame Mm -hmm. and it makes a solid contact Mm -hmm. and that will give you a very bad vibration vibration and a noise i tell you
0: one thing just as a easy tip is if you put it in reverse or you put it in drive and the vibration changes some either gets worse or better it sure does yeah yeah that's yeah. generally going to be indicative of an engine mount another thing you sound pretty handy if you've got like a little small floor jack get a block oh, yeah. a block of wood like a two by six or something to pad it set that between the transaxle and the jack and just jack up slightly on the engine and see if the vibration goes away and okay. if so then that's dead giveaway on a motor mount
5: Okay, and when I'm driving down the road, I can feel vibration. It changes a bit as I steer left and right.
0: Again, and motor mount. Yeah, because the weight, well, it, it could be that. It could also be that motor mount because the weight of the mm. engine shifts right. left and right whenever you turn if the mounts are broken, which can load and unload the CV joints, which are turning, which can cause a vibration. So,
1: being it has a vibration and idle and it's most likely a mount, I would go after that first. Correct. Do that could have two problems.
0: Could have two problems. It could. Bad bearing and a bad wheel bearing. However, I would go after the known problem first because the other problem may go away. If it does, you're home free. Right. Worst case, you may have a wheel bearing you have to diagnose also.
5: Should I just do the top motor mount or should I change all of them? There's a couple... It uh, depends on which ones are broken.
0: Yeah, look at all of them. A lot of mechanics suggest (laughs) when one is broken to change them all because they've all been through Mm -hmm. the same amount of thing. And you put one new one, the one's going to try to control the entire engine. Other... It depends to me how expensive the mounts are. If they're obscenely expensive, I would probably just change the one that's broken. If they're relatively inexpensive and you can change them yourself, I'd probably change them all. Do
1: yourself a favor and go back to the dealer and get that right. mount because the aftermarket mounts don't seem they to just hold up. They don't fit right. They don't fit they don't right. Fit they right. Don't, they I, don't control the vibrations right. I've
0: seen them vibrate worse yeah. with an aftermarket mount. In fact, we've had them come in where they're really shaking and it's got aftermarket mounts. Take them all, put the OEM mount on and fix the problem.
5: Understood. All righty. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Right, thanks, lot, right, 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 so, man. Awesome. Have a great day. Thank you sir. too. Bye bye.
0: All right. 291 6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive we always love hearing from you. That's one from California, one from Canada. How about that? So there you go. If you're in Baton Rouge, you got to. <laughs> no excuse. Juice. You don't stick.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one more quick little break. Be right back with more. I'm here with David, engineer, do it yourself mechanic, and actual Adco Automotive customer. You got it. So, David, you own, like, 50-something cars? (laughs) Not that many. I have five. Some are for everyday driving, and then there's my 94 Olds Cutlass Supreme Convertible and 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe. Those are more for fun. And you do a lot of the work on them yourself. I do, but when it's out of my league
1: and I want it done right, I take my cars over to Agco. Wouldn't trust my cars with anyone else.
2: So, listeners, if you're less like David and more like me, not automotively inclined, Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. So, David, I'd love to check out your 94 Cutlass. Really? Yeah, I figured we'd cruise around, listen to some of my Michael Bolton and Kenny G CDs. I'm um, more of an Smith fan myself. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I see, yeah. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
0: Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co pilot seat. Hey, Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291 6901. And we
1: still got a few minutes left to get
0: your call answered. That's uh, absolutely right. We had a couple of really good calls there that made good points that I'd like to just expound on just a tad. And the first one was with the EVAP code. Uh-huh. Of course, EVAP means evaporative emissions. And there's a tons of little acronyms and stuff. There is that huge amount use and all, and we try not to use them as much on the automotive hour because we know people don't sometimes understand. And we do. We try to define them, right? But next week's show, I think we'll take a list of those and go through them. So if you wanted more information on that okay. kind of stuff, be listening next week and we'll go into some of the acronyms that i the used uh, commonly in the automotive industry.
1: And I tell you what, if you have a certain one you want a definition of, just send Lewis an email sometime go. this week, and we will make sure we get it on the air for That's you next right. week. something
0: you won't brought up. But going back to the EVAP problem, evaporative emission systems are one of the most difficult systems that we have to diagnose, and it's also one of the most problematic systems in most cars. Some cars seem to have a lot more problems with that. Other cars, not as many. But the Chrysler products seem to have quite a bit with theirs.
1: And Chrysler has a system kind of it, it, on its own. It works a different way than most well, other systems Well, it's European-based
0: because when they were developing that system, they were in bed with Mercedes. Mercedes, that's so right. So they adapted a European system, which is a pressure system rather than a vacuum system. And a few other cars use that system, but most of the domestic and Asian cars use, use a vacuum-type vacuum system. And there's two articles on the website covering these in detail. Mm-hmm. So if you get a chance, go in and just – Key in the word EVAP, and it'll bring those articles up. You can read and figure out how they're working and so on right. as that. Another car that has a lot, a lot of EVAP problems, General Motors. We, sure. We see a lot of problems. That,
1: Especially on their, their pickup truck line. Their
0: rear-wheel drive vehicles. They have a lot of trouble with the solenoids and all that.
1: The valves. Uh, Toyota's
0: and... also had a fair number of problems, although they're usually at higher mileage. Right. Uh, the charcoal canister usually goes out on them, but that's normally up around 110. 120 to 180,000 miles somewhere, the charcoal canister will fail. When it does, the charcoal gets sucked into the system and clogs the valves up and starts throwing a code. And what Toyota says causes that is when you're filling your gas tank and that nozzle cuts off the first time, and There's a click and cuts off. That's when
1: you're supposed to stop.
0: You stop putting gas in it right then and there because they have what they call an overfill valve. And if you continue to force gas into the system – What's happening is the gas is going through that overfill valve, back into the filler neck, up the filler neck to kick that thing out. But at the same time, it can also get forced into the EVAP system. Mm -hmm. And that's designed to circulate gas fumes. Not fuel. But not liquid gasoline. And if just a few drops get into it, it's going to take out a charcoal canister. Which, depending on the car, can be anywhere from a 300 to about an eight or $900 part. Right. So that's not something you want to do.
1: And not only the part, but getting to the part. Yeah. I mean, well, I've seen some of them well, tucked in above the, susp- the rear suspension. You have to drop the rear crossmember yeah, out.
0: Diagnosing the problem because you have to know what part to change, uh, and, and on and on and on it goes. But it's a very complex system without a scan tool that can communicate, work the solenoids where you can watch them, a smoke type machine where you can pressurize the system, some type of device where you can go around and detect small leaks and all those sorts of things, the odds of you fixing a problem in an EVAP system are pretty slim. I mean, you might just go ahead and put a cap on it. Mm -hmm. And if your cap is old, that doesn't cost a whole lot. They don't last forever. Go ahead and put a gas cap. If that doesn't fix it, it's probably time to take it to somebody and let right. them diagnose the problem.
1: And you got to make sure you get a quality part.
0: That's right. You mm-hmm. want to be sure you put an OEM part back on that, particularly on an EVAP type thing. Sure. Because the aftermarket stuff just doesn't, doesn't work seal. very well at all. Let's go back to our phones, Matt, good morning, Matt.
6: Hey, I've got a 2012
3: Chevy Tahoe. Uh-huh. And I rotated the tires towards the back. And both of the rear tires are wearing on the outside like they're cupping on the outside okay. and i've been checking the pressure constantly and making sure that they're set right and mm-hmm. i was just
0: wondering if you had any ideas.
1: that sounds like a tow wear but that's got a solid rear axle in it so unless yeah. the axle was bent
0: yeah i mean we have look. seen a number of those axles bent even some of them from the factory where they tied them down a transport truck warp that housing and you bent it will tubes. it will start to eat the tires up like that now you got It's 2012, so you're four years old. Is it less than 100,000 miles on it?
3: Yeah, 56,000. I tell body- you what,
0: I, I would definitely get that check real quick, Matt. We could check it for you, or any other good suspension shop could check it for you, because it may fall under your powertrain warranty, right. which is five-year, 100,000 miles, and you're getting kind of close depending on when you took delivery of the vehicle. And okay. even though being bent would normally not be covered under warranty, you could always argue that, hey, this was like that when I got it. And you may have damaged it in transport. I think you got a possibility of getting warranty if that's the problem. Now, if it's not covered under warranty and it is bent, and it's not bent too bad. We can sometimes straighten those rear housings a lot cheaper than you can replace one because they're very expensive to replace. Okay. But sometimes right, we boy. can straighten them. But that's what it sounds like to me that like you got something out of skew in the back.
3: Yeah, uh,
5: because i've never seen them wear on the
0: rear yeah it can happen i mean you got four wheels in the car and all four have to be aligned and because the straight housing usually they stay in alignment pretty well but that housing is only if you ever take one and cut it in half you'd be shocked at how light that metal is i mean it's a little bit thicker than a tailpipe and that's about all
1: hats put together yeah, i mean it's, it's it's kind of fragile if you look at it from yeah, my perspective it's
0: designed just to roll down the road but you know, somebody could have threw a chain around it and tried to pull somebody out of a ditch. I mean, who knows what things happen. All sorts of stuff. If you've ever wrecked and hit the wheel or hit a big enough pothole and all that, you can bend rear axle houses. We've straightened several hundred of them over the years. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take it into a shop. I'm in South Carolina. Oh, so. okay. wow. Yeah, great. Just take it to a good, competent suspension shop and have them do a four-wheel alignment. And if you ask for a four-wheel alignment, Matt, and they act kind of stupid and tell you, well, it was a rear, straight rear end, then you're in the wrong place. I would okay, probably thanks. try to find a guy who does just alignment, like yeah. alignment and chassis shop if you can find that. Okay. All,
2: All right. right. Well thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. All right Matt, thanks for calling. Right. Bye bye.
0: All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. If you want to part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we were talking just a little bit about the evap system and such as that. Another good question that we had was where he's got a vibration. And it's at idle and it changes when you put it in and out of gear, which right. is definitely sounds like an engine mount, Does. but he's also got a vibration when he's turning. And again, this is one of those things that it's hard to know. Do we have two separate problems
1: or one single problem,
0: one problem that's being caused. So what I always try to do in a case like that is let's go after the known problem. first. Sure. We know we got a motor mount or we can diagnose that really easy. Right. If we know we got a broken motor mount, let's change it first and see if the other problem still there. Because the other option is go do a bunch of testing and come back and say, well, yeah, it was just a motor mount. Mm -hmm. And we see that a lot of times with things like a car will come in and it's got a misfire. And you check it and it's got a bad ignition call on the cylinder, which is missing. Well, now, we know for sure we've got a bad ignition call, but we don't know if that's the only problem because technically it could have a bad ignition call and a burnt valve on the same cylinder.
1: Sure. Could have have a bad plug. plug, Could have a bad bad injector. fuel injector. Right. It could
0: have a bad... ECM that's not sending a signal to the all kinds of things the point is if we know we have a bad call let's do that first sure because the testing to eliminate everything else is going to cost x number of dollars right and you're going to pay that so if I go in and I find a problem you have to understand that we're going to fix the simplest thing first but sometimes there was two problems and you can't get mad at the shop and say, well, it's still doing the same thing. Well, no, no, it's not doing the same thing. It had one problem, you fixed that one, and now the second problem is revealed. Right. But the other option is to go in and do four, dollars or $500 worth of testing and come back and say, well, yep, it was a bad call. <laughs> we eliminate every other possibility. But you know, nobody would want to do that. So you have to be understanding it works both ways. And if you're working with an honest individual, that's you're gonna get an honest what it's going to bring to the table is that he's going to tell you, honestly, the least expensive thing he can do first understanding that occasionally there's going to be more than one cause involved. So the thing is you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I want you to absolutely tell me what it is every single time, but I don't want it to cost me 300 or $400 because right. that's what it's going to cost. Right. You can't have that. You can't have that if you, want, if you want to go with the easiest thing first. It's just in your best interest to pick the easiest thing. Let's fix this and see. Right. Because we know we got this. We know that absolutely for sure this is bad. What we don't know is if other things could be bad as well. So let's fix what's bad. Odds are that's gonna fix the whole problem, but if it doesn't, then we can always go after the other stuff. Sure. Just a way to save a little money. And I see you're just about out of time about a clock there. Go ahead and wind it on up and get out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like
1: to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and Find the written ratings and fill it out for us.
0: Oh, yeah, we really appreciate that. A lot of times, folks will call or write for information and, and say, so Well, how can I thank you for that? Well, the best way you can thank us is by giving us a written review. Sure. Go into Google or whatever and just give us a positive review because that helps us out, helps more people to tune into the show, which makes it where we can keep on doing it. And that's the way to stay it. Too. <laughs> that is the best way to say thank you. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.